This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program, or as we often call it, RLA Radio. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. I've got what I think will be a terrific show lined up for you today. In just a moment, I am going to share with you some rather shocking comments made this past week by former Reagan White House budget director and best-selling author David Stockman. Uh, Mr. Stockman uh, has some uh, pretty interesting forecasts and predictions that I'll share with you. And then joining me again on today's program will be Mr. Gerald Salente. Uh, Gerald is a world-renowned trends forecaster, and you'll want to hang around and listen to what Gerald's forecast is as far as gold is concerned. Uh, And I'll also, in the last segment of today's program, be talking to you about what I believe may be a canary in the coal mine. It may be somewhat of an economic crystal ball when it comes to forecasting economic trends. And of course, if you've got money in a 401k or an IRA, uh, it's important for you to understand that. On this program, unlike just about any other financial program that you might listen to. We like to educate you, but we like to educate you based on a very valid premise that you probably first heard from your history teacher or history professor, and that premise is that those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. So we like to look at times in the past when economic conditions and financial markets look a lot like they look today, And if something happened in the past when economic conditions looked like they look today, the chances are very good in our view that it will repeat itself. So to that end, uh, we don't pitch product on the program. We simply educate, and we do so by interviewing some of the brightest folks uh, uh, on the planet when it comes to all things economic and financial. Now, if you haven't already done so, I'll remind you that every week we do publish a free Portfolio Watch newsletter. It's distributed via email, and that's delivered every Monday at 5 o'clock after market close. If you'd like to subscribe, just go to yourportfoliowatch.com. The website, again, is yourportfoliowatch.com. Now, let's get to those comments that Mr. David Stockman made this past week, and again, Mr. Stockman is a bright guy, not only a best-selling author, but was also budget director in the Reagan administration. Now, it's no secret that the middle class is getting smaller. And it's also no secret that the wealth gap does indeed exist. And Mr. Stockman says that this has taken place because of the Federal Reserve. In other words, according to Mr. Stockman, it's all their fault. Now, if you're a relatively new listener to RLA Radio, you may not be familiar with the fact that the Federal Reserve, which is the central bank of the United States, is comprised of private bankers. The Federal Reserve is not a government entity. It's not an arm or agency of the federal government. It is a private group of bankers. They control U.S. monetary policy Because all the way back in 1913, then-President Woodrow Wilson and Congress decided it would be a good idea to put private bankers in charge of monetary policy. Now, I happen to think that it has been a bad idea, 
And when one studies history and sees the two other times in U.S. history that central banks were established and then dismantled, you can quickly and easily see why it's a bad idea. Now, there are many, obviously, out there that would disagree with me. Mr. Stockman, however, is not one of them. This is what Mr. Stockman said. The Fed, referring to the Federal Reserve, drove up costs, prices, and wages at 2% come hell or high water. Mr. Stockman continued by saying, You do that for two or three decades, and all of a sudden, you're totally uncompetitive. You have the highest cost structure in the world economy, and the jobs and production migrate to where companies can find lower costs and better profits. So the Fed hit the middle class, what I call fly over America, with a double whammy. The Fed's 2% inflation drove jobs offshore and undermined wages and the middle class economy. At the same time, it vastly inflated and subsidized a massive gambling spree and financial asset inflation on Wall Street. Not only was this Fed policy the enemy of Make America Great Again, it also created a dangerous distortion in the distribution of national wealth. In other words, the wealth gap. Now, I happen to have developed an economic theory, not because I'm a trained economist, because I am not, full disclosure, but I tend to look at things from a common sense perspective. And if you stop and think about it, you'll probably agree with me that this makes sense. When you create a lot of money, when a lot of money is created literally out of thin air, it's got to go somewhere. And when it needs to go somewhere, people and corporations tend to overborrow. See, debt is now the highest it's ever been in nearly every segment of the economy as a result of this Fed policy. And here's a second common sense economic truth. When debt levels are too high to be paid, they won't be paid. Now, Mr. Stockman in this interview was asked if he thought a global default on debt was coming. He said, yes, it's very likely. And that's why it's so dangerous to be in the stock market today, because the whole thing is propped up by debt. As soon as the defaults begin to cascade through the system, there's going to be a tremendous correction. At the same time, this debt was exploding from $40 trillion to $250 trillion globally. The balance sheet of central banks went from $2 trillion to $25 trillion. Now, a quick comment. How do central banks expand their balance sheet? Simple. They print money out of thin air and then buy things. Now, the central bank's balance sheet expanded from $2 trillion to $25 trillion in about two decades. Stockman says... All of that is one giant fraud because to buy all those assets, they just made it up. It was fiat credit. In other words, Stockman said they just printed money. They did it out of thin air. Stockman continues to say what we have in the world economy underpinning this $250 trillion of debt is a massively bloated and fraudulent central banking system and balance sheet that made all this possible. He said the key point is all this is now coming to an end. Central banks are now reversing course. They're beginning to shrink their balance sheet for the first time in 20 years, and not just a little bit. Stockman says, in the inverse, the opposite is going to happen. Bond prices are going to fall. Yields are going to rise. 
You hear from Wall Street and Fed heads, don't worry, it's all priced in. But Stockman says, this is a quote, that's all complete baloney. Yields are going to go up and we're going to have a day of reckoning in terms of this whole artificial structure of debt that's been created. The growth rate is a third of what it was historically. There's no magic way out of it. Stockman says, I call this a fiscal doomsday machine. Stockman went on in the article to suggest that you have gold and other tangible assets in your investment portfolio. I like to say you should use a two-bucket approach, not a one-bucket approach. In a two-bucket approach, you have not only the traditional asset classes like stocks and bonds, but also cash and tangible assets. See, many would have you use the one-bucket approach. Invest in stocks, invest in bonds, and the older you are, weight that more toward bonds. However, in the months and potentially years ahead, that will likely set someone up to not be able to be comfortable during retirement. So I would urge you all to get familiar with a two-bucket approach. Educate yourself because no one cares as much about your money as you do. And to that end, I will return after these words, and we'll be talking with Mr. Mr. Gerald Salente. Stay with us. Dennis Tubergen here, host of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Thank you for listening. I'd like to invite you to take advantage of a free resource that we have for our listeners. It's a weekly market and economic update that we call Portfolio Watch. Portfolio Watch is a free newsletter delivered by email every Monday at market close. In it, we analyze market activity and give you a unique perspective on current economic conditions. To get the weekly Portfolio Watch report delivered to you free, just visit yourportfoliowatch.com and enter your name and email. The website is yourportfoliowatch.com. In Portfolio Watch, we monitor and update our forecast for your money. Don't miss a week. Visit yourportfoliowatch.com to get your free subscription. That's yourportfoliowatch.com. I'm pleased to have back on the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program today, Mr. Gerald Salente. Gerald is the publisher of the Trends Journal. He is also the director of the Trends Research Institute, which he founded back in 1980. And Gerald, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on, Dennis. Gerald, in your most recent Trends Journal, uh, which uh, if the listeners want to learn more about your publication, which I would encourage them to do, they can go to trendsjournal.com. You have an article uh, really forecasting that uh, we're going to see recessions and that's going to be good for gold. So let's start with the first part of that. Uh, what are you seeing out there that makes you think that we're going to see a recession and how deep will this be? Well, it's it's a global recession and, and you can look at the numbers already. <clears throat> you take a look at the uh, Eurozone. Their business expanded at the weakest rate since mid-2013. And their purchasing managers index has sunk to its lowest rating since then as well. And you take a look at the uh, EU, again, their PMI is uh, just above contraction level. Above 50 is growth. Below 50 is contraction. They're at 50.01. Uh, 
take a look over there in Italy. Oh, it's great. And they have a recession going on. And now you just saw the numbers coming out from the German IFO Institute uh, of Economic Research. And they're now recording the first negative readings for the Eurozone since 2014. And then you take a trip to China. Oh, yeah, they just had their, uh, what, worst gross domestic product numbers since 1990. So it's a global slowdown. And then you look about, you know, look what's going on uh, in Africa. You know, it's one country after another. Congo, Ghana, Nigeria, uh, Sudan, Somalia, unrest, uh, South Africa, recessions, you know, so... It's a global slowdown, and and the only thing that's keeping it up is monetary methadone. The central banks are injecting this cheap money into the uh, corporate and equity market addicts to give them their high, and it's unprecedented in the history of the world, part one and part two. There's never been such a thing as negative and zero interest rate policy and quantitative easing, and now from going from quantitative tightening, they're going back to quantitative easing. And in the United States, we're even forecasting that they're going to begin to lower interest rates, not raise them this year. You know, Gerald, in some parts of the world, there are negative interest rates, uh, as, as you mentioned. So uh, where do policymakers go? I mean, it seems to me that, uh, that they're grasping at straws at this point, And at some point, They've got to see recession or you know just this huge deflationary period uh, emerge from from all these conditions. Well, yes, but what they're going to do is they're going to inject more quantitative easing. So that's one way they're doing it. And you take a look at China. I mean, you know, they're taking the actions already. They they lowered their reserve ratio requirements, so that uh, encourages more bank lending, especially to small businesses. They're cutting corporate and personal taxes. And what they're even doing is they're giving their consumers like a $150 break if they buy a car or or a TV or a refrigerator, stuff like that. And you're looking at a country that's doubled its debt since the panic of 08. It's to around 300% the size of the economy. And plus, on top of that, they're going to be dumping almost uh, probably about $160 billion into infrastructure repair. So what they're doing is this is just one big Ponzi scheme and a global con game. Well, Gerald, when you say quantitative easing, for our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with that term, we'll just call it what it is. They're, They're creating money out of thin air. And as you said, that that game is not an infinite game. At some point, we're going to have to see massive, massive inflation kick in as a result of these policies, aren't we? Well, yes. And and at some point, that's going to happen. And you look, you know, what's what's going on like in Venezuela? What do they have? You know, like 10 million inflation, some ridiculously high inflation, you know. And, and yeah, it's when, you, when your currencies become valueless. But the, you see, that's what's going on, by the way. The reason the United States dollar is so strong is not because of our $22 trillion debt. And when you put in all the other costs, you know, with pensions and Social Security and on and on, and the, it's, it's over $200 trillion. So the $22 trillion debt, the $220 trillion debt 
it's small compared to the problems that they're having around the world. And so now you're looking at the problems I mentioned in the Eurozone, despite the quantitative easing, bond, they're buying up bonds, they buy government bonds and corporate bonds, buying up corporate bonds. That it's the merger of state and corporate powers as is too big to fail, which is basically called fascism. And when you look at Japan, for example, they have they have a GDP. Their, their GDP numbers came in negative two point five percent, and they have. You know, Dennis, you're a great guy. You know, I really like being on your show. I got a ten year bond for you to buy, and because I like you so much, in ten years when you cash it in, I'm going to give you less money than what you paid for it. We're going to call it a negative yield. And they're making this stuff up. The government's buying these things up. People aren't buying them up. So it's phony money that's boosted up the economies. So, Gerald, what does this mean for tangible assets? And in particular, when you think about, you know, safe havens, you think about precious metals, in particular gold. Where do you see gold going as a result of these policies? Well, you know, first of all, because not only the policies, so the bad policies are in place. Now let's look at a wild card event. Let's look at a black swan event. All of a sudden, as war breaks out in Middle East with Iran, it blows up in Venezuela. Oil prices skyrocket to go over $100 a barrel. That'll crash global economies and crash equity markets. Now you go back to gold. Gold is the ultimate safe haven asset. Our forecast is the gold's now is hovering around, you know, the the $1,320 mark. It has to break strongly above 1385. From and again, we we have no advertisers in the Trends Journal. <clears throat> you know, it's it's a paid for subscription. Nobody tells us what to say. We have no you know no skin in the game here when I'm talking about gold. You know that we have. A, so we're saying it from forecasters. It has to break gold. Then has to break over fourteen hundred and fifty dollars an ounce. When it breaks over fourteen hundred and fifty dollars an ounce, we forecast it will skyrocket to over. $2,000 an ounce. And already, this year, last year, 2018, central banks bought up more gold than they have in a half century. So they know that there's trouble on the horizon. Certainly, it doesn't hurt to follow what the central banks are doing. Let's uh, shift gears here a minute, Gerald, and talk a bit about another alternate currency, Bitcoin. You talk about that at length in the January Trends Journal. And you say that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies uh, are, are really going to fade. Can you elaborate on that? Well, actually, we have a, a, a trend expert in that call. His name is Jonathan Cho. And um, he's coming out of South Korea, has been on this since the very beginning. And he gives a lot of the reasons why he doesn't see Bitcoin. As a matter of fact, he says gold, go for gold, not Bitcoin. And this guy's been in it since the beginning. <clears throat> so there's too much speculation right now, too many uncertainties, and too many government pressures to stop it from happening. And we saw at the beginning of the end, by the way, in December of 2017, when it hit its high around $20,000 a coin. And we said it was going to go down because that's when they allowed it to be traded on the futures markets. 
So then it became a very highly speculative game. And when you play into the futures markets, you bring the big players in there, and they call it naked shorts. I'm allowed to say I don't want to get in trouble with the Me Too movement to say naked shorts. <laughs> I've got to be careful here. They, uh, <laughs> the, um, those, by the way, the places where pilots pilot airplanes, you can't call those cockpits anymore either. <laughs> <laughs> So what they did with the with the with the cryptocurrencies is you got the big players in there that just started shorting the markets really really strong, and that that initially drove them down. So in the in the uh, near term, uh, Mr. Cho doesn't see much uh, growth or uh, or strength in the entire crypto market, and he's forecasting it's going to take a pretty big hit. Particularly on the uh, on, on the Bitcoin and and the others. Uh, so, as as we're speaking right now, by the way, Bitcoin is down one point five five percent. So, what is uh, what what are governments doing? I mean, obviously, an alternate currency that governments don't control is a government's worst nightmare. What are governments doing to uh, to combat this uh, this Bitcoin movement? Well, they make it harder and harder for it to be uh, to be uh, transferred and and traded and cashed in. So that's what they're doing. They're stopping it in every way they can. And, you know, when you go back to 2015, you know who the biggest buyers of Bitcoin were? The Chinese. But then what they did in 2015, the, the stock market started to unravel in China. And they had huge cash flows of yuan leaving the country. So they stopped the cash flows from leaving the country. So people started buying Bitcoin. And that's when Bitcoin prices really started to go up around 2015. Then what the Chinese government did? Not allowed to buy Bitcoin anymore. And they cut it off. That brought it back down, and then it went back up. So most of the trading in Bitcoin had been coming out of Asia, but now more and more governments have made it more and more difficult for it to be transferred, to be bought, and to be sold. So when you when you look at the the, the allure of cryptocurrencies, it's this blockchain technology. So and, and I'm not a technology guy, but it's basically an open ledger that allows everyone to uh, see that you know money can't be created out of thin air. These units of value can't be created out of thin air. Do you see a government maybe adapting this blockchain technology for their currency to create some more confidence in the, in their currency at some point? Well, not not really, because the currency has no confidence in it. All it is is digital money backed by nothing and printed on nothing. So they're going to use blockchain technology in the terms of, yes, it's good for transfers of money. You could transfer, you know, trillions in milliseconds now. And once the transaction is made, it's blocked. You know, we see a bigger advantage to blockchain technology, and we call it blockchain voting. And the, one of the most successful systems in the world, where they haven't been in a war since the 1850s, and one of the richest countries in the world, is Switzerland. They have direct democracy. The people vote. You don't know who the presidents or the politicians are. And our systems are so corrupt. I mean, the people call them 
Democrats and Republicans, I call them bloods and crips. They're murderers <laughs> and thieves by their actions, by the wars they've started, to build all the bailouts, all the money they give to their rich friends in, in doing deals. So if you want to go to war, well, let, let the people vote. You want these tax cuts? Let the people vote. People say, oh, the people are too stupid to vote. Oh, yeah. Mitch McConnell's a lot smarter than you are. Or maybe Nancy uh, out of her mind Pelosi. She's just brilliant. Or Diane not so Feinstein. Or Lindsay, little <laughs> Lindsey Graham. I mean, you know, they, they should vote for me. So when I'm going back to blockchain technology, we could have blockchain voting. And making the people decide what the future will be. That, to me, is what one of the biggest biggest advantages of blockchain are that we could create an entirely new system. Look at the stupid, moronic, childish, ignorant midterm election ballot counting. How could any adult with a half an ounce of a brain look at what just happened and justify it in any possible way? So we need an entirely new system, and blockchain can do it. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. We will be back after these words, and we'll continue our conversation with Mr. Gerald Salente. He is the publisher of Trends Journal. The website is trendsjournal.com. We will be back after these words. Stay with us. Dennis Tubergen here, host of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. Thank you for listening. I'd like to invite you to take advantage of a free resource that we have for our listeners. It's a weekly market and economic update that we call Portfolio Watch. Portfolio Watch is a free newsletter delivered by email every Monday at market close. In it, we analyze market activity and give you a unique perspective on current economic conditions. To get the weekly Portfolio Watch report delivered to you free, just visit yourportfoliowatch.com and enter your name and email. The website is yourportfoliowatch.com. In Portfolio Watch, we monitor and update our forecast for your money. Don't miss a week. Visit yourportfoliowatch.com to get your free subscription. That's yourportfoliowatch.com. Welcome back to RLA Radio. We're chatting today with Gerald Salente. If you're just joining us, Mr. Salente is the publisher of Trends Journal. He's also the director of the Trends Research, Research Institute, which he founded back in 1980. His website is trendsjournal.com. It's a great publication. I would encourage you to check it out. And, Gerald, let's just jump in because you, in your January issue, uh, wrote uh, a piece on Venezuela and it was it was very very good very well done um and maybe to, to 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 set this up a bit talk a bit about the conditions in venezuela presently oh they're terrible i mean we had over they had over 3 million people estimated to have left in the last few years uh, you you're looking at you know inflation rates that you know are astronomical in the in the, in the millions and it's um it's very unstable. They have an unemployment rate of 40%. Uh, 
you know, the inflation rate actually is 1.3 million percent. And, you know, it, it is a saying that I have, an old, old Bronx saying, when people lose everything and have nothing left to lose, they're losing it. And they're starting to lose it down there. And what people really need to know, or should I shouldn't say what people need to know because the, the motto of the Trends Journal is think for yourself. What people should be aware of are all of the military coups, all of the destabilization that's gone over on there with the help of the Americans, by the way, throughout not only uh, Venezuela, but throughout South and Central America over the decades. And, and going back a number of years ago, Obama uh, put severe sanctions on uh, Venezuela as well, and that drove it down uh, uh, the, the economy down quite low. And all these sanctions are, every time a country puts sanctions on a country, <clears throat> what they do is they hurt the average person. It's economic warfare. It doesn't hurt the elite. It doesn't hurt the people in power. It hurts the average person. So the conditions of sanctions that the Americans have put on Venezuela uh, over the years have really hurt the economy. So now we have um, that the, you've talked about the fact that uh, Maduro now um, is on the way out, and this uh, new young interim president is uh, now taking over. In fact, uh, the United States uh, just recognized him as the official leader of Venezuela. Can you give our listeners some background? Yes, um, they're trying to. It's a coup d'état against uh, uh, Maduro, and. The United States doesn't recognize him. So the, the propaganda in the media, every time that they talk about it, they call Maduro, who was elected by the people in um, May, they call it a fraudulent, fraudulent election. What they keep leaving out is that the Venezuelans had asked the United Nations to monitor the elections. But the United States killed that deal. So they brought in others, for instance, the African Nations Delegation and several others. And they said that the Venezuelan uh, elections were free and fully transparent, and they were recognized. But you don't hear that in the media. So now here, you know, it's like me going out in the street tomorrow and saying, ladies and gentlemen and children of all ages, I declare myself Gerald Salenti, the President of the United States. And you'd say to yourself, what is this guy, crazy? you say, no, his name is Juan Guaido from Venezuela. And he declared himself President. And the United States and its other flunkies said, okay, this guy is the new President. Number one, what right does the United States or any country have to be involved in a foreign nation? Number two, look at the track record of failure since World War II. South Korea, Korea, Vietnam, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Yemen, Syria, Libya, not one victory. And now we're going to overthrow, and, and always, by the way, and they're doing it again in the name of bringing freedom and democracy. How many times have I heard that? Oh, it couldn't be because Venezuela is sitting on the world's largest oil reserves. 
No, it was the broccoli crop. That's what, why they went into Iraq and <laughs> Libya. You know, it had nothing to do with their oil. I mean, this is an outrage. And I say this now not as a trend forecaster, but as someone who also launched Occupy Peace. OccupyPeace.com is the website. I had Ralph Nader here, Cindy Sheehan, Robert Thurman, and others, you know, as, as to, to, to honor the founding fathers, beginning with George Washington, a real man, not like these little boys that couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag, you know, remember the guy in the Delaware? That, yeah, that George Washington is their farewell address. No foreign entanglements. So here the United States is getting involved in this country that we have no business getting in and putting economic sanctions on it, making it worse, and we believe that war is on the horizon. So if anybody's complaining about what's going on in the border right now and more migrant crisis, you haven't seen anything yet. Because if war breaks out with Venezuela, it's going to spill into Colombia, Brazil, throughout the entire region. You'll have a human wave of people escaping. That's unimaginable. And it's unimaginable right now. Because right now in Central America, according to the Gallup poll, this is before the Venezuelan outbreak, but in Central America, over 27% of the people want to leave because of the violence, the poor economic conditions, and the corruptions. This will escalate it tenfold. And Gerald, you in your article quoted uh, John Bolton, and uh, I was really surprised, and, and I missed this quote, frankly, uh, in in the news, but uh, he came out and, and, and just very openly said that the U.S. has a lot at stake, given the, that Venezuela has the world's largest proven oil reserves, and here's a quote from him. We're in conversation with major American companies now. It would make a difference if we could have American companies produce the oil in Venezuela. It would be good for the people of the United States. So it sounds to me like he's saying, let's just team up with these oil companies, like, frankly, we have in the past, and let's take over Venezuela's oil reserves. I mean, that, that's a very, very open, blatant quote. I'm surprised he said it openly. Well, look at the freak that the guy is. I mean, what do you expect? Look at these people. Look at them. You know, I mean, they, they, they're, they're out of this world. Who, the, who is this guy to say this? This is an outrage. This is, this is violence in the name of money. I mean, and again, it has the long history. You know, one of the, the great books, Wars of Racket by General Smedley Butler, you know, uh, Major General Smedley Butler, he was um, the most decorated Marine in history when he wrote the book. And it was about being in South America. You know, in those days, it was, you know, for bananas, you know, and to and to uh, help all the big companies, the importers of fruit. In, in Central America and South America to overthrow the government so they could get the stuff cheaply. And they're doing the same thing. This is, this is disgustingly, Ill, disgustingly illegal and immoral, and it, no one really seems to care about it. So, Gerald, in the time we have left, let me uh, turn the have you uh, turn the clock ahead here to to, to 2020. Uh, we have what is shaping up to be uh, almost a three ring circus, to use that analogy, as far as the the presidential election is concerned. Uh, any forecast as to to what we're going to see in 2020? Yeah, well, actually, one of our trademarks. You said it's a three ring circus. We call it the presidential reality show. <laughs> 
and and politics is show business for ugly people, and it couldn't be proving more true than right now. Yeah, it's a you you look at them. Every one of them virtually flip flop on all their past statements, and um, what you're going to see, it's going to be a, a real big movement toward um, uh, socialism again. I'm not saying right or wrong. It's going to be what is. Just go back to look what's going on in Europe. The people are disgusted about the rich getting all the money and the rest of the people getting none with the yellow vest movements in France. And the same thing is going to happen here. If we were to make a forecast at this time, the Democratic nominee is going to be that guy from Texas, that uh, Beto O'Rourke. Uh, his his uh, father-in-law is a billionaire. Why do you think he's able to raise all that kind of money? He's like... 30 something million dollars running against um uh Ted Cruz. Yeah, Ted Cruz, yeah. People's names like people's faces and names I try to forget. <laughs> so, we think he's going to be he's he's to us the uh the Obama, a white Obama. He has the same kind of uh, you know, uh, hope and change you can believe in kind of BS lines that they could throw out there cheaply and people buy uh, uh, very strongly. He's the right age group. He has the look. He has the talent. He has the personality that uh, fits very well to become a champion in the presidential reality show. So that's who we see uh, right now. He's behind the pack, but we think he's going to be moving up. Do you see a, a viable third-party candidate emerging uh, in the next election cycle? No, not not at all. And the third party is very hard in America unless you have the money to put it together. And that guy Schultz from uh, Starbucks is not probably not going to be it. But we don't see anything right now. The Amer- By the way, America is the only country where there's really, of the major nations, where there's radical change going on, where there's no third party movement of any substance. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave it there, Gerald. We've got about 45 seconds left. If someone wants to learn more about your work, what would you have them do? Go to trendsjournal.com, trendsjournal.com, and we have a monthly trends journal. We put out trend alerts each week. One just went out right now about the economy, where it's going, the equity markets, and we do uh, podcasts. And again, it's the only magazine in the world where you will read history before it happens, money-back guarantee. All right, our guest today has been Mr. Gerald Salente. Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio returns after these words. Dennis Tubergen here, host of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio program. Thank you for listening. I'd like to invite you to take advantage of a free resource that we have for our listeners. It's a weekly market and economic update that we call Portfolio Watch. Portfolio Watch is a free newsletter delivered by email every Monday at market close. In it, we analyze market activity and give you a unique perspective on current economic conditions. To get the weekly Portfolio Watch report delivered to you free, just visit yourportfoliowatch.com and enter your name and email. The website is yourportfoliowatch.com. In Portfolio Watch, we monitor and update our forecast for your money. Don't miss a week. Visit yourportfoliowatch.com to get your free subscription. That's yourportfoliowatch.com.
Welcome back to RLA Radio. This is Dennis Tubergen, your host. Glad you decided to tune in today, and thanks again to Mr. Gerald Salente, who's always so generous with his time, and he always uh, provides some really terrific information. You know, in this segment, I want to talk to you a bit about predicting the future. I think it was Winston Churchill who said, if you want to understand the future, you need to look deeply into the past. And we're kind of going back, and as I said in the first segment of today's program, we're examining what your history teacher told you, that those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Well, if I can get you to travel back in time about a dozen years, just a little more than a decade, and we examine one of the primary causes of the financial crisis of 2007 and 2008, one of the primary driving forces behind that was massive levels of subprime mortgage debt. Now, subprime mortgage debt is just a polite way of saying low-quality mortgage debt. And because debt levels rose to a point that they were unsustainable, that level of debt really forecast the fact that there would have to be an economic reset. And that's exactly what happened. Now today, while private sector debt levels are certainly very high, if we zero in and focus on corporate debt, it seems that corporate debt may now be telegraphing the very same thing today as subprime mortgage debt did prior to the financial crisis. And in this segment, I want to just give you some very simple, basic facts and let you draw your own conclusion. Now, this past week, uh, there was an article in the Weekly Profit. Uh, It was published on February 6th, written by Robert Ross. And I want to give you just a little bit from this piece written by Mr. Ross. Housing prices in the U.S. never go down. Just about everyone in America believed that in the mid-2000s. A limited amount of buildable land and a growing population would keep housing demand strong. So house prices will continue to rise. That was the thinking, anyway. Even some of America's brightest minds, like former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan, jumped on the stable housing bandwagon. It was unthinkable that the housing market could crash. Then, the subprime mortgage crisis hit. See, when people or companies load up on too much debt, especially low-quality debt, low-quality debt simply means that the debtor is not super creditworthy. There's a higher risk of that debt not being paid back, And that's exactly what happened during the subprime mortgage crisis, or again, during this risky debt crisis. Now, this financial crisis that, as we said, started in 2007 was triggered by the bursting of the U.S. housing bubble. However, the bubble formed because of weak lending standards and cheap low-interest loans. Here's another eternal economic truth that is evident when you study history. You cannot have an asset bubble unless that bubble is fueled by cheap and easy credit. It can't be done. In order to have a bubble, you have to have access to cheap and easy credit. Well, prior to the financial crisis of 2007-2008, too many people 
borrowed too much money to buy homes that they really couldn't afford. That is the gist of it. This tidal wave of low-quality debt did eventually crash the housing market, and it even threatened the survival of the banking system. See, credit bubbles also threaten banks because banks have debt as assets. Now we have a similar situation. We have corporate debt levels that are significantly higher than they were when you as they were when comparing to the subprime mortgage loans prior to the financial crisis. So from 2004 to 2006, subprime mortgages grew from 8% to about 20% of the total mortgage market. So subprime mortgages over about a 3-year time frame increased by 250% and then we saw the housing market crash. Now, U.S. corporate debt has done the same thing. Now, when you start looking at corporate debt, a corporate bond is a loan that an investor makes to a company. There are different reasons that an investor might loan a company money, or for that matter, a reason a company might want to borrow money from an investor. Maybe they want to build a new manufacturing plant or invest in infrastructure. These loans that investors make to companies are called bonds, and bonds are collateralized by company assets. If a company goes bankrupt for whatever reason, bondholders have senior lien holder position. They get to go in and they get to claim assets of the company to get paid back for the loan. And the more assets a company has backing up these bonds, the higher the bond rating is. Now, bonds are typically rated triple A, which is the highest rating, and then there's double A, and then there's A, and then there's triple B, and then double B. Well, as you go down that ladder, triple B bonds are the lowest rating that is still considered to be investment grade, meaning that pensions and institutional type investors can buy them. Now, in the last 10 years, the triple B bond market has grown from $686 billion to $2.5 trillion, which is an all-time high. The subprime mortgage market grew by 250% prior to the financial crisis. The corporate bond market, as far as triple B bonds are concerned, has grown by about 400%. And about 50% of the investment-grade bond market now sits at triple B, which is the lowest rung of the bond ladder. Here, however, is the really important point. When you look at corporate debt as a percentage of GDP, as a percentage of gross domestic product, corporate debt is now higher than it was at the time of the financial crisis. But there's one big difference, one hugely significant difference. At the time of the financial crisis, interest rates began to fall. Falling interest rates made it easier for corporations to service the debt. Now, however, interest rates are reversing. Since 2016, the interest rate on the 10-year Treasury note has doubled. Now, according to Moody's, about 10% of triple B-rated corporate bonds turn into junk bonds, meaning investors may lose money in a recession. And that is a really, really important thing to understand. Corporate debt is higher. 
individual household debt is higher and government debt is higher. And the eternal economic truth is that if there's too much debt to be paid, it won't all be paid. That's why it's important to consider using, as I talked about in the first segment of today's program, a two-bucket approach. A two-bucket approach incorporates assets other than the traditional stock and bond assets, which tend to not perform well in a recession and in a rising interest rate environment, and it focuses on assets that will tend to stabilize a portfolio. I would encourage you to go to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates website. It's retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. There is a resource section there to give you more information, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's our show for this week. Glad you tuned in. We'll be back again next week, same time. Tune in.